Shortly after you came out of the canal of birth, <laughs> your, your parents um, awarded you a name. Uh, some of you uh, think that that was a, an award. How many people just by admission are not happy with the name that you got? Anybody not happy with it? A few of you guys, all right, I understand. Well, what's interesting, and I didn't know this, I didn't realize this, listen to this. There are names in certain countries that are banned. So in other words, it's illegal to name your kids certain names in certain countries. And so I thought it would just be fun to get enlightened on what some of these banned names are. So check this out. Let's look at the top 10 banned names in our culture, the top 10 banned baby names. All right, here we go. Coming in at number 10, coming in hot at number 10. That's right. I don't understand this one really. This is Tallulah does the hula from Hawaii and it's banned in New Zealand. Makes no sense. It's true. Look it up. All right. Coming in at number nine. That's right. You have the devil. Don't name your kid that. In Japan, it's illegal. Okay. I'm sure some of you are tempted. Here we go. Number eight. That's right. The old smelly head. You cannot name your child that in Malaysia. True story. Here we go with number seven. You may not name uh, your, your baby Bridge, which I, I don't understand in Norway. Like, Bridge seems like a pretty, pretty cool name. Number six, I really appreciate this one. How about Saddam Hussein? You cannot name your child this in Brazil, okay? Also, Ryan Lockie, you cannot name your child that. At number five, uh, the at symbol. You can't name your kid that in China, which is just awesome. How about number four? Look at this. Uh, you can't name your kid Tom in Portugal. What? So for all those Toms out there, I'm sorry. Coming in here at number three, that's right, you have 007. You cannot name your kid that in Malaysia as well. All right, thank you so much. And in number two, maybe one of my favorites that I don't understand, you can't name your kid Stallion, which is like one of the best words ever in New Zealand. What's wrong with you people, okay? And I don't get this one. I don't know that anyone actually named their, their child this, but I guess they did. But this is a real law. You cannot name your kid whatever that means in Sweden, okay? Um, so there's that. How, how many of you, is there any Toms here? Any Toms? Okay. Well, you, under your seats, under your seats right now is a name tag, okay? And under your seats, conveniently located, are markers. I would like every single one of you to write your name on this name tag and place it on your outer garment. Pass those markers down the aisle. Share them like good citizens. I wish I had a different color. My, my color was purple. Get that name tag on. Don't litter. All right, now, when we were, um, when we were a church of 30 people and a few pets, everyone knew everyone's name, okay? And uh, it was pretty awesome. Some of you guys will remember the old show Cheers. I actually grew up watching that show with my father and it was the place where everyone knows your name. So listen, imagine... Imagine if right now you walked into wherever we're at now numerically and every single person knew your name. You didn't need a name tag. They just, they walked up to you. They gave you a hug. They, they didn't have to make up for not knowing by calling you dude again, okay? Some of you have perfected the art of not knowing someone's name and, and acting like you do. You have friends of yours that you've had like deep conversations with that you're still calling man, Okay? Hey, what's up, man, you know? And now it's too far in to try to tell them that you don't know their name, okay? How many of you just want to admit that you're absolutely horrible with remembering names by raise of hand? Okay, a good percentage of us. So to all the visitors here, I apologize in advance. Now, listen, listen, hold on a second, listen. It would be interesting if people didn't call us by our names... It would be interesting if they called us 
based upon the way that they saw us. Uh, so in other words, um, my guess is you've been called a lot of things that weren't so um, nice throughout the years. The old adage that my parents used to say, is, sticks and stones may break our bones, but words will never hurt us. And I always thought, that, would, that is the biggest lie ever. Like, sticks and stones do hurt, and so do words, right? And listen, think about the things that you've been called, the labels you've been given. And so what if it wasn't your name on your name tag, but it was all of these things? Uh, some of you were called um, by your parents a worthless child, and you're like, well, how, are you sure? Was anyone called that? Yeah, I've, I've talked to people whose parents called them worthless and so, so what if that was the label on your tag, worthless child? Uh, uh, others of you, maybe it's the perception that people have of you because of sins that have come out publicly. So maybe uh, others would, would say, well, there's that person, they're X, Y, Z. It'd be an interesting world to live in. Well, tonight, listen... Um, I've been waiting for this story for months and months. The, the moment we decided to start studying Joshua, I knew that chapter 2 would be coming. Because what happens in chapter 2 uh, is a story and a label and a beautiful depiction of what God can do, what God is doing, and I believe what God will do uh, tonight. So I know some of you are brand new here, you're just joining us. What we do here is we study the Bible verse by verse. Right now we're studying the book of Joshua. And just to give you a short recap, he's old, almost 90. He's leading 1.5 to 2.5 million Israelites after spending uh, 400 and some 40 years in slavery and then 40 years in the wilderness. He now gets to lead them into the land that flows with milk and honey. We've joked about it. Some of you wouldn't want a land that flows with milk and honey without Cheerios. But in general, this land is beautiful and it's a great place to live. It's the promised land. And so I want to show you where we ended last week just to help give you some perspective. It's been a great story. Here's what verse 16 says. And they, after Joshua commands the people in obedience, in simple obedience, they answer, all that you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. 17, just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. And finally, the heavy, verse 18. Whoever rebels against you against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Obedience is a life and death issue. And as we said last week, if every child would just obey, life would be so much simpler. And as children of God, if we would just obey life would be so much simpler. And so tonight, an unbelievable story of a woman with a name. So open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 2, my friends. We're going to start in verse 1, study all the way to verse 14, and just enjoy the, the epicness of this account. Here we go, Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. When you're there, say I'm there. Awesome. There we go. 35 of us are going for it. Verse 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, which we've, we've said is going to be a reoccurring thing for whatever reason. Uh, the writer here continues to reiterate that Joshua is a son of Nun. I think just because Nun is, in fact, a, a cool name. Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. So let me give you the overarching and then we'll dig in. You have two spies who have been sent out by Joshua. They find their way into the home of a harlot, into the home of a prostitute. Okay, whose Hebrew uh, name literally means innkeeper, but the New Testament makes clear she gives her body uh, for sex. She sells her body for sex. That's who Rahab is. And so the, these two spies from the nation of Israel in the direction of Joshua under the guidance of God are now in the home of a prostitute. 
But first, let's understand where Jericho is. Cue the map. Next slide. Look at this. There's a Bel Shatim there. Uh, you can see after three green arrows, you'll see the Jordan River there, which is what they're getting ready to cross, hundreds of thousands of them. And there you see our good friend Jericho highlighted in red. Next slide. This is, this is a good rendering that I drew earlier with my crayons of what Jericho looks like. Uh, you'll notice uh, it's very, very fortified. In fact, the seven, eight, nine acres that the city uh, took up, uh, it was fortified by two walls that were very, very high that stood about 15 feet apart. So it was a city that was very, very protected. You can even see the depiction of somewhat of a moat around it. Jericho was uh, not, not a huge thoroughfare. It wasn't a port city, uh, but it was a well-traveled city and becomes a huge city uh, even as Jesus comes on the scene. So that's Jericho. Now the really interesting thing is that Joshua sends... Two spies, which is interesting because 40 years before that, who was a spy? Joshua, remember? Joshua spends his first 50 years as a slave in Egypt. He then gets sent as a spy to go scout out the land of Canaan. Only two spies come back, he and Caleb, and give good reports, okay, of what the land was and that God was going to give it to them. The other spies come back and say, we need to get to Stepan, of which they do. They, in disobedience, spent 40 years in the wilderness, and now Joshua sends two more out. Next slide. Let's deal with the issue of the elephant in the room, the prostitute. Uh, I know if some of you uh, went home tonight and your mom was like, hey, what you guys study at church tonight? And you're like, prostitution. Um, my guess is she would raise her eyebrows. But as I read this over and over and over, there was one thing that... Um, I couldn't get away from. The spies don't have a name, but Rahab does. The two spies, in fact, here in a second, we're going to see the king of Jericho. He doesn't have a name either. But Rahab does have a name. Now, the first question is why? Why, why would her name be significant? Well, it, it's as if whatever's about ready to happen in the story, maybe just maybe she's She's going to play such a part in the history of Israel that her name will kind of echo through the story of what God's doing. But, but then the majority of you are like, but, but why a prostitute? Are you kidding me? Like, why, why would God ever desire or choose to use such a person? A person who literally sells their body for the pleasure of others, like almost seemingly one of the most deplorable sins that you could do. Like, like why would anyone deframe sex in that way and then God would, would choose them? Well, there's a lot of interesting things about Rahab. My guess is you don't know this one from Matthew chapter 1. And so I'm in the father of Boaz by Rahab. There she is. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David, the king, and some of you are like, why in the world are we studying genealogy all of a sudden? Do you guys know whose genealogy this is? It's Christ. In the genealogy of Jesus, there is our new friend, the prostitute, Rahab. And so as some of you are trying to do the calculations, First of all, you notice that Rahab is the great-great-great-grandmother. We don't know exactly how many generations span the difference of 400 years between Rahab and David, but Rahab is the great-great-great-grandmother of David, King David. And Jesus comes from this line. The Christ comes from the line where a prostitute sits. And some of you are like, like, what in the world is God thinking? But you are the proof of what God is thinking. You are the proof. Can I show you? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You are the proof. Look at this. Next slide. For consider your calling, brothers, you, me. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is what? What is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. 
you, like the prostitute, are proof of what God is in the habit of doing. Choosing people that make absolutely no sense, which completely gets to the heart of some of your greatest struggle. Some of you are still saying, even as we studied last week, why would God use me? God can't use me. It's in that precise moment, in that precise moment, that the Lord will do unbelievable things. Why? Because his track record is taking prostitutes and doing something with them for his glory. His track record is taking people who seem and feel and are so inadequate, not gifted. We see tons of biblical examples, can't speak and all of a sudden speaking to nations, can't lead and all of a sudden leading many to Christ, can't, like, and on and on. You're the perfect, I'm the perfect example of this. And so here we have a prostitute with a name. Verse 2. And it was told to the king of Jericho, Behold, men of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. What? Then the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. Like, what do you notice about verse 2 and 3? These spies are horrible, okay? Like, are you kidding me? Like, Joshua sent them secretly, and you already have the king of Jericho on their heels, okay? And somehow they already know they're at the prostitute's house. Like, what, what is going on, okay? These spies apparently didn't go to Joshua's school of spydom. Is that a spydom? Spy? School? Okay, whatever, right? Like, these are bad spies, right? Everyone's, everyone's life is, is at risk right now. Rahab's life is at risk because she's at risk of being a traitor. If she's found to be a traitor and hiding these spies, she most certainly will be killed. The spies, if they're caught and if somehow it's found out where they're from, they will be instantly killed. Everyone's lives are on the line. The king of Jericho is feeling angst. Why are these spies here? What are they doing? He's probably wrestling with the, the possibility of warfare. Maybe he's heard some rumblings, some rumors. Now look what Rahab, the prostitute, says in verse 4. Remember, the king says, bring them out. She says, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she says, true, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And when the gate was about to be closed at dark, the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. So the king says, Rahab, bring them out. The scripture says Rahab hid them. And then the scripture says that Rahab lies uh, to the king. And what I'm getting ready to tell you is that Rahab now begins her new allegiance to God. But the problem is, and every scholar in the world has studied this passage, the problem is she lies to protect them. So for some of you, this is like your proof text on why deceit is necessary, okay? Like some of you are fired up right now. You're like, Mom, I told you, Dad, I told you. Listen, Professor, I told you, as long as I'm protecting somebody, I can lie all I want. Look at Rahab the prostitute, you know? She was lying all up and down just to protect those spies. Okay, I don't want to argue tonight on whether or not what she did was ethically, morally, or just in terms of following the Lord, obedient. What I do want to make absolutely clear to you is that she has a new allegiance. And for those of you that have um, become Christians, started following Christ... You know that when your allegiance turns from the things of the world, you have all these relationships and friendships, you're feeding from the faucet of your flesh, your life is about you, and then you turn from that and now have a new allegiance with the Lord, the person of Christ, you know that it's a growing process, isn't it? No one, when they comes to Christ, spends the rest of their life living in perfection, no one does. In fact, 1 John says, if you say that you do, you're a liar. So we battle through it and we struggle through it. And I think right now what's happening in Rahab 
She's not asking, listen, is it a sin or not to lie? She's making a declaration of her allegiance and she's willing to put her life on the line for her allegiance after God. It's one of the things that is the most disconnected from the majority of you and I's life. Our life is rarely, if ever, on the line for the cause of Christ. Most times when we have to take a stand for allegiance, we're trying to save face. We're making a decision, am I willing to be seen in the eyes of this group of people as a Jesus follower? And I'm not lessening that whatsoever. But I am heightening the fact that right now Rahab's allegiance to the Lord means she can immediately die. Are we all together? She has a new allegiance. So let's see how this new allegiance goes for. Here's verse 6. But she had brought them up to the roof. So now these spies are hiding in the roof of the prostitute and hid them with the stalks of flax that she had laid in order on the roof. So the men that the king had sent out pursued after them. They're on a wild goose chase. Is that, yeah, they're on a wild goose hunt, okay, after people that aren't really out there. So the men pursued after them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. Look at this. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So again, let me paint the scene. You have two spies that are bad spies that are not hiding in the roof of a prostitute. The king has sent out people after these two spies that are hiding in the roof. And the gate to the city has been shut, locking in the spies. But the better question is, what's flax? Right? Here we go. Cue the slide. Here's flax. All right, here's flax. Now... Uh, flax in uh, ancient Mesopotamia and this time in ancient Jericho, it was an annual crop that they would bind together dry and then it became a linen that was a little softer than wool. Praise God because wool is horrible. Okay. Is there anyone here that actually likes like a wool blanket or something? The first time I wore a wool blanket, I felt like I was in a sauna all night. Anyone else? You know what I'm saying? Like uh, even when we go to Ecuador sometimes, I think those blankets are made of wool. You know, and it's already hot, and you're like, okay, it's 98, and now I shall put on my wool, right? Well, well flax is a little bit more like, uh, it's a little bit, little bit more like, like polyester. Any polyester fans up in here? Come on. Mmm. Mmm. My wife knows if she brings me a 100% cotton shirt, it's going right back, okay? That's the first thing I look at. Oh, honey, that, that shirt looks really nice. It kind of looks like me. And I look at the tag, 100% cotton, she gone, all right? I'm like, you need to take that back. Because all I rock is the 50-50, you know? I'll even dab into the 45-55. Irregardless, let's get back to the text, all right? <laughs> She's hiding these spies in flax on the roof. Okay, this is what seemingly is the grandiose plan. It's the conversation, though, that happens that our attention must be drawn into. Look at verse 8. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, please see this. I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. I'm drawn to two words highlighted here Next slide in yellow. She says, I know that what? The Lord. Which is huge in a polytheistic, pagan-worshipping Jericho. In Jericho, there's a God for everything. And what Rahab, the prostitute, communicates is she says to these spies, I know the Lord. The word here in the Hebrew is Jehovah, the one God. I know the Lord has done something. It's given you this land, she says. And that the fear of you has fallen upon us. She right now is making a declaration of her faith in one God. It's the same declaration that you will choose to either make or not make. Let's say it this way. Next slide. When you profess your faith in God, 
you are professing there is only one. That's it. I know you guys know this because you're living in the culture that we exist in. Listen, um, the thinking, uh, the doctrine, the, the practice of the world that we live in says that we must be tolerant and we have to give credence to the fact that this person and their God are completely relevant. Just like this person or that tribe or this group and their God or God's. But I want to say very, very boldly to every single one of you, if you think you can follow God and follow multiple gods, you are misguided. What Jesus says is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. There is only one way to God, and that is through Christ, who is the one God. There's only one throne. There's not multiple thrones. I know many of us have tried to put ourselves on the throne. But there is one throne and one God, and that is what Rahab, the prostitute with a name, communicates. I know that the Lord is going to give you this land. And she says about her people, and we're melting. It's like everyone else is just going to melt away. But her testimony digs in even farther. Look at verse 10. This is awesome. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. Remember this? Before you, when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites in the early parts of Deuteronomy, who were beyond the Jordan to Sahon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. Verse 11, please see this. And as soon, as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. You guys, you guys see what happens here? Let's look at this text and make some observations. For we heard how the Lord dried up the water. Who's we? Who's the we? For we. Who's we? Come on. Jericho. The entire city has heard about what happened back in Egypt. How long ago was that? 40 years. The testimony of God has carried now 40 years all the way to Jericho, which if you want to do a little geography, this is many, many, many miles. This isn't St. Charles to St. Peter's. This is like St. Charles, I don't know, to Kansas City. We'll just go with it, all right? It's a ways, okay? It's a ways. So what God has done, the, the testimony of the Lord has gone has gone out, has, has all of a sudden made its way to Jericho. And not just that, but how they've fought and won. Early parts of Deuteronomy 3 and 4 talk, tell us about these wars. Now I want you to see verse 11. And as soon as we heard it, Jericho, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man. That means some people heard the testimony of God and... It didn't create hope in them, it created hopelessness. They heard about the power of God... They heard of what God was doing. They heard how God was blessing them. And what they believed is there's no way, there's no way that I can know that God. But it seems like in this text, there's one person who begged to differ. When everyone in Jericho, their spirit was sinking, what does Rahab say at the end of verse 11? For the Lord your God he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. You literally have an entire city whose spirits are sinking because they're wondering if their fate will be just like that of the Amorites. And you have one woman who believes that maybe, just maybe, she can know this God too. This is the story of our lives. This is our reality. The testimonies of God are right in front of us. And some people, in the face of those testimonies, will say, I can't know that God, and that wasn't God, and that was circumstance, and that was situational, but there will be others. Maybe you, I pray me, who will look at those scenarios and raise their hands in worship and follow Christ with their lives and say, no, 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 our God, 
My God is the God of the heavens and the earth. That's who my God is. Listen, last week we heard the miraculous story of the Bear family. They go in for an ultrasound. The doctors tell them, listen, your, your baby's in bad shape. Guess who are here heard it? This kid, if it's born, is, may never walk or, or talk. Uh, the chance the kid uh, may die in the womb. They go back three weeks later after three weeks of prayer, and the scan finds absolutely nothing. And the doctors spend five extra hours looking because they're baffled. While all the while, the Barrett family is saying, that's our God. That's, that's God. This is your friends, this is your family, this is your relationships. Here's my question. When no one else trusts, when no, when no one else believes, when everyone else turns their back, it's weird to say that you would align with the prostitute. But my question is, would you find yourself making allegiance with Rahab the prostitute, even if everyone else was saying, that's not God. Well, you do this every day. You make your decisions every single day. You fall into the temptation of the approval of man every day, and still others of you, emboldened by the Holy Spirit, in the face of life and death, say, no, no, no. The Lord is the God of the heavens and the earth. Something's happening in this prostitute with a name. And some of you are like, well, well, just because she's hiding some spies and just because she says the right thing, like, like how do you know that something intrinsic is happening in her? I'll get to that and I want to show you. But let's look at how this story continues. Verse 12 says this. Now then, please swear, Rahab says, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. And some of you right now are like, ah, I see. The prostitute is pretty wise. She's pretty shrewd. She, she doesn't have faith at all. She's an opportunist. She's like, well, listen, I know Jericho's going down because I can hear the rumbles of the hundreds of thousands on the other side of the, the Jordan. This is my chance to save my family. And so some of you, I understand why, are saying, listen, Mark, there's nothing inside the prostitute that's happened at all. Actually, what's going on is she is just, she's just taking advantage of a situation that's been put in front of her. You could say that. But I actually want to communicate the thing that some of you, because you're followers of Christ, know. There is something that happens when you realize the depravity or the utter terror of your life. When like the cry of a desperate child, you yell out for mercy from a king. And as he extends it, there's something that happens inside of you that humbles you. When the Lord saves you, you watch your pride get knocked and taken and purged away. Why? Because that's the character of God. The Christ left the heavens, humbled himself, Philippians says, uh, even unto death. I believe what's happening in Rahab right now is there's something so much happening inside of her that the humility of the Lord, the humbling work that's going on in her, is now showing herself not just interested in her own life but in her family's. I've been kind to you because I was selfless, and now I would love, I would love, in my selflessness, if you could extend that gratitude and that kindness to my family. Listen, this is going to be so difficult for us to understand. All throughout Joshua, we're going to see man, women, and child be killed. And some of you still like picture like Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls come tumbling down and you're like, you know, picturing like everyone singing, you know, and like no one's crying and yelling. Listen, kids are screaming as they're dying. Women are holding their children. Dads are watching their entire families be crushed. 
Some of you grew up with, you know, the Bible is just this, this fairy tale where it's a small world after all. It's just always in the background, right? But I want you to understand right now, Rahab is looking at what's going to happen. My family is going to die. And so in a selfless act, she says, listen, spies, could you be kind to them as I've been to you? And verse 14, here's what happens. Beautiful. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Our life for yours until death. The question is, would you trust the prostitute? Would you trust her? She could figure out a way to, to let them go and then, hey, king, here they are. Like, take them down in the hopes that maybe that would save her. This prostitute has a name. And the reality is, maybe, just maybe, there's something that happens in her where the label prostitute goes away. Uh, for you, maybe it's not prostitution. Maybe the label that you battle with is one of these. Next slide. Maybe it's cheater. Maybe it's druggy. Maybe it's adulterer. Maybe it's fat. Maybe for you it's an underachiever, a liar. People have ridiculed you of that. Maybe for some of you the thing that you just feel like you can't escape is the addiction to pornography. Some of you uh, feel like the label that's crippling you is I'm good for nothing. Uh, you're lazy, a, a poser. Still others of you are ignorant or an abuser, a, a worthless child. Maybe some of you tonight just absolutely riddled by the trait of being depressed. Some of you arrogant, a bad parent. Yes, maybe even a sex offender. The question is, do these and will these labels define you? For many of you, as you've come here tonight, they have. Let me give you an illustration. I feel like these things, whatever your combination is, is your past or present and you feel like your entire life all you're trying to do is run away from them and maybe if you run fast enough then maybe, maybe just maybe you won't be defined by that anymore. But then every night when you lay your head on the pillow it's, it's, like, it's like you're done running and the constant barrage of lies that you hear in your ear you're worthless you're always, always going to be an abuser. Listen, there is no getting out of the pornography. It's done. Go ahead and indulge again. Because guess what? Tomorrow, you're going to be the exact same person. There's no way out of the eating disorder. You're there. You're stuck. And then tomorrow comes and you feel like, again, you're in that, that, that battle, that desire to, to run away from these things that feel like they're chasing you. So what happens to Rahab? We know she's in the genealogy of Jesus. But oh my friends, there is so much more to our dear friend. How about this text? Check this out. That's right, my friends. Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, the faith chapter. Here's Rahab. Look at this. By faith... Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient, which is a little bit of a precursor, a little bit of a spoiler alert, as it were, because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And still some of you are like, well, Mark, but that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean she was a believer. She, she had faith, fair enough. She, she hid the spies. She did her thing. She, she winds up at Hebrews 11 hundreds of years later. But I have the text to show you. That what happened in her heart was genuine. James 2, check this out. Crazy. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. James has just got done talking about Father Abraham, okay? 
Abraham and Rahab are the two people talked about here, okay? And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified? You guys know what the word justify means? It means the gavel is thrown and the, the verdict is innocent. She's justified. She's seen as innocent by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let me make sure we're all on the same page. What James says is Rahab was a follower of God. She turns her allegiance from prostitution and selling her body for money to turning her allegiance to the one true and only God. She's seen as innocent. She's justified. She turns. She has a name. So I was processing through all of this. And then all of a sudden I landed on a text that I'm very familiar with. And I, I have to share it with you. Because the journey that this takes us on, oh my goodness. Here's what Jesus says in Luke 10. The 70, 72 come back. They're celebrating. The demons are submitting. And then Jesus says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And some of you instantly like looked up, right? You're like, oh, sweet. I've been waiting, right, to like look up and like Jesus, you know, like does a Jesus airplane, like cursive portrayal of my name in the sky sort of thing. What does it mean that there are those whose names are written in heaven? Well, Paul helps us look at Philippians 4. This is an interesting text. Check this out. Yes, I ask you also, says Paul, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. What? So Jesus brings it up. Now Paul brings it up. There's like this book. And what this book has in it are names. And because it's called the book of life and not the book of death, then we can only infer that whosoever names are in this book, there's something significant about that, about that collection, about that list. And then we have Revelation 21, the end specifically. But nothing unclean will ever enter it. This is the new heaven and the new earth nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. What I want to show you right now, with all of this being said, in the prostitute having a name, is maybe the most profound text about our identity which comes not at the end of Revelation 21, but at the beginning. Look at this in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. Beautiful language. Look at verse 3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is what? It's with man. And feel free to jump in jubilation, my friends, because that is a tremendous promise. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself, himself, not an imposter, not an idol, not some figurine, but God himself will be with them as their God. And can I just encourage you with verse 4? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Come on. No more pain. No more crying. No more tears. No more trial. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. But we're just getting started. How this verse continues is what all of a sudden brings all of this together. Verse 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy 
They're not just trustworthy, but they're true. And he said to me, it is done. Please hear this. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. For those who are interested, for those who come to the well, the well won't run dry. And mercy and love will continue to shower and shower and shower. And the one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be what? Come on. He will be my son. He will wipe away every tear. There will be no more pain. You align with Christ. He will call you son. If not. Next slide. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. I want to make sure every single one of you understand this right now. The label will eternally stay with you apart from Christ. You are forever worthless apart from Christ. Forever an, a, an adulterer, forever a liar, forever a cheat. Forever the porn addict, forever the, the divorcee, forever the bad parent, forever the unfaithful. You name the label that has haunted your past, my friends. The truth of the reality is that label, apart from Christ, is forever glued to you. But in Christ... You have a name. In Christ, there are no labels attached to you anymore apart from son or daughter. Let's say it this way Christ abolishes our temporary labels and gives us an eternal name written in the book of life. I once was, but now I. I used to be, but now my name is this. This label used to dictate every facet of my being, but now the freedom of Christ has completely consumed me. I used to not believe that there was a way out of this addiction, but let me tell you what Christ has done. He's freed me, and guess what? My name is etched eternally and will not be erased. Once your name's written in the Lamb's book of life, there is no going back. Once a son and a daughter, never again an orphan. She's a prostitute with a name, and every single one of you tonight can be as well. This was the story of Rahab. I want my brother Doug to tell you his. So I used to be defined as a liar, a cheater, um, selfish, um, conceited, uh, you name it. Uh, but the biggest label or definition of who I was was an adulterer. Um, I've been married for 10 years. And five of those years, I was unfaithful uh, with five different women. Um, I struggled with porn before. And I was thought that once I get married it would just go away. Like, I'm married, it's gone. No. The lies of the, devil, of the devil and the enemy continued to haunt me, continued to call me, several other labels. And so, about five years ago, Mark preached, and I was done. I wanted to, I wanted to be done with everything. I wanted to be done with a label. I wanted to finally give everything to Christ. 
And throughout those five years, I constantly asked and prayed, God, like, what do I need to do? And he said, you need to give it all up. Uh, and I just was never ready for that until five years ago. And I remember Christ just saying, trust me. Trust me with everything that you have. Trust me with the things that you have believed in Satan. Trust me with your deepest, darkest secrets. Not that I will be okay, that everything in my life will work out, but it's better to live for him than to not. And so I did. And so the next couple days was hell. Worst days of my life, worst days of my life for my wife. I couldn't have done anything worse to her. But if you ask me or you ask her, that was really the best times of our life. Because Christ made us new, made me new, made our marriage new. And on top of that, brought beauty from ashes. He blessed us with a third child. And so he actually brought life from death. And so I'm no longer defined as an adulterer. I'm defined as a child of God. So in 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26, it says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup, this is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So, church, as we break the bread, I proclaim that because of Christ, my past doesn't define me. And as we drink from this cup, because of Christ, you are cleansed of your labels. So let's come to the tables tonight to celebrate being washed clean.